Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I'm leaving this church. Five reasons or five signs you should also. Now, I am not leaving my church. I go to an amazing church that I'm extremely proud of in Montreal, Canada. However, I get a lot of people that message me constantly saying, what are signs that I should look out for if it's time to leave this church. I don't feel right. Something's not sitting well in my spirit. Now, I'm not doing this broadcast for nitpicking different styles and different things like they sing too many hymns or they don't sing enough hymns or there's no flashing lights show here. There's no smoke screen there. There's no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying you should leave that place because the bathrooms aren't, you know, uh, they're, they're not very nice or, you know, they don't have nice brick on the sides of the walls or, you know, our church doesn't really look like a church. I don't, or the pastor doesn't wear skinny jeans or he doesn't have a soy latte with him every Sunday or, you know, the pastor, he always wears a suit and I'm more of a relaxed person. I'm not getting into that today. All of those things are minors and I don't want to major on the minors. I want to minor on the minors and I want to major on the majors. And so I've written down five signs, five red flags, five major problems that you should look out for in your church And if you see these things, let me tell you, and I feel no remorse or regret in saying this, it's time to hit the exit and leave that place. If you, if any one of these things are in that church, I'm telling you, it's time to bust out those, blast out those doors and get out of there and not feel bad about it. And I'm going to show you at the end of this broadcast how to do that in a proper way, because you don't want to make ruckus. You want to do everything with honor. You want to do everything with with compassion, you want to do everything with mercy. The Bible says to him who shows no mercy, that judgment will be merciless against him. So we have to do everything with honor. There's a code. These people, these pastors, they stand in an office of ministry. And so even if you don't agree with what they're saying, even if some of them are heretics and and, and, and preaching heresy, there's a way to leave a church. There's a way to, to disconnect. There's a way to do it. I'm going to show you uh, at the end of this broadcast on how to do that. Now, why am I doing this broadcast? Because I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. One of the problems of the end times is that there would be a rise of wrong or erroneous doctrine in the church. And that Paul constantly reminds his readers, you need to keep watch for these things. These are things, red flags in the last days, that if you see any of these things happen, and he's not talking about towards the world. Remember, he's talking to Timothy He's talking about people in the church. That's why, he, and I'm going to read it. They say he has, they have a form of godliness, meaning it looks churchy. It looks churchy. It looks religious. It looks good. But there's fundamental problems at the root. And Paul says from such people, don't entertain it. From such people, turn away. This is what the Bible says. Paul's telling Timothy that in the last days, know this, Timothy, that difficult times are going to come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, 
from such people turn away. Verse 6, for this sort are, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these men resist the truth. Resist the truth. If you have a highlighter, highlight that in your Bible. Because like I said at the beginning of this broadcast, I'm not going through five signs you should leave your, leave your church. And I'm just going to talk about how, you know, the, the, the church bulletin is not really designed the way you'd like it. Or these minor things. I don't like the carpet in the building. I'm talking about men who have resisted the truth. Churches that resist the truth. And these are five signs to prove that they do. Men of corrupt minds, the Bible says. They've become corrupt, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further and their folly will be made manifest to all. Paul's telling Timothy in the last days, and actually I'm going to read, I'm going to skip down to chapter 4 and verse 1 now. This is continuing what Paul's saying. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to convince, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching. Listen to this, verse 3, very important. For the time is coming where they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in everything. So Paul says in the last days, we are to be watchful in everything because the temptation or the problem, one of the main problems in, in, in the last day deception is that the deception is not only going to hit the the world and unbelievers, it's actually going to creep into the church and there are going to be people who will heap up for themselves teachers that will teach them things according to their own desires and lusts. And he says, be on the lookout for these places. Be on the alert. Don't get caught in. Remember, Jesus said that the end times deception is going to be so strong that he said even the elect are at risk. And so if you're born again, you're a believer and you're saved and you're standing right now. These are five signs that you're in a church, that if you continue in that place, I'm telling you, it won't be long until you fall away. It won't be long until you disconnect from Christ. It won't be long until, until you know, everything crumbles. 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 18, listen to this. And I'm preaching this with passion today because for many of you, it's, a, it's an, an alarm. For many of you, this is a warning. For many of you, this is a confirmation, a confirmation that you need to take action today. And like I said before, these five signs are not elementary things. These aren't small things. These aren't minimal things. These aren't side issues that I'm going through. These aren't uh, nitpicking different aspects. I'm talking about fundamental things that actually will put you at risk in your walk with God if you continue in these places. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before the Lord to not strive about words to no profit. To the ruin of the hearers, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 16, pay attention to this. But shun or turn away from. There's some 
I don't know where it came from, but there's this belief in Christianity that if you're a Christian, you just got to take it all. That if you're a Christian, you should, you know, endure it all. That there's no, you shouldn't reject anything. You should just be this loving a teddy bear that just accepts everything, accepts anything, accepts everyone that, you know, nobody's, nobody has bad intentions, you know, just totally gullible and innocent in all your dealings, dealings. Jesus actually said, he said that the sons of the kingdom get taken advantage sometime because they're not shrewd enough, meaning they're not wise enough. Remember, he told his disciples, be shrewd as serpents, be wise as serpents, be on the lookout, don't be a gullible person, and be intentional with how you live, and be innocent as doves, meaning deal with honor, be innocent in your dealings, when you have to turn away from someone, don't don't uh, don't be rude. Don't be a jerk. Don't be arrogant. If you have to leave a church, like I said at the end of this broadcast, I'm going to go with the right way to doing it. But just a little sneak peek. You don't do it by going and getting a group of people to follow you too. You don't do it by going on Facebook and calling out the person. You don't do it by tearing apart the place. You don't do it that way. There's a way to do it and handle it with grace. Paul says that you should shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Phileas are of this sort and they have strayed concerning the truth. Meaning if you entertain this type of place, the Bible says that the message will actually spread like cancer in you and it will turn you away from the faith. The scripture says right here, it will actually cause you to stray away. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone that watches this broadcast and anyone that's connected to this ministry. I want this broadcast to pump out strong Christians. And if you're a Christian right now and you watch this broadcast and you feel like you don't have to go to church because I got hurt once and I, you know, they did, I went to a church like that once. They're all the same. I'm telling you, that's a lie of the devil. You need to plug in to a Bible-based church. There are Bible-based churches in America, in Canada, abroad, and if there isn't one in your town, I would rather move to a place where there is, get a new job, do everything I can to plug in to a Bible-based, spirit-filled church so that my children can encounter and experiment, experience the presence of God than stay in some area where I either go to a bad church or I, go to a, I don't go to any church, and then my children grow up not having the privilege of being in an anointing environment and then having them stray away later on in life because they didn't grow up in a community of believers, of like-minded people that are spirit-filled and that will encourage them to serve the Lord all their days. So if you don't have a church in your area, you don't just not go to church. I'm telling you, I'd rather pick up my bags <coughs> and leave to a city <coughs> or a town that has a good church then stay, I don't care how much the job I have pays me. Nothing is more important than your salvation. Nothing is more important than your walk with God. Nothing is more important than your children experiencing the power of God in their youth. Nothing is more important. I don't care if, if there's a career opportunity. I don't care if this is where my family always lived. I don't care if my grandparents attended this place. There's nothing more important than... Being in a place where God is moving. I don't care if the building you're in had a move of God in 1865. There's pastors that literally will buy 
buildings because Charles Finney or John Wesley had meetings there once upon a time and they think that that that's the glory of God you know that's God did something here I want to remind you we don't serve the God of the past we serve the God of the present we serve the God who is not just who was we serve the God who is God is not some antiquated theory or theology that we look back to history and study past revivals God is a living God God is a present God God is actively engaged and moving on earth and I can tell you something no matter the nation you're in there is a place there is a place there's a spirit-filled place. You can't give the excuse where there's no churches in my area. Then move. Because there's a, Lester Sumrall said, if you'll just pick up your bags and move to where God is moving, everything else in your life is going to increase. Everything else in your life is going to work out. Because all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Those who love God. Those who love God. You know what it tells God when you don't see a church in the area? And you don't feel called to plant one either. And you just pick up and go to a place where you can plug in and, and get involved with what God's doing in that city and region. You know what that tells God? That you mean business with him. That tells God that you're serious about this commitment. That tells God that you're, you're just a sojourner, a pilgrim through the land. That you're not trying to build and establish your own kingdom here. You're here to be hands on deck and put your hand to the plow to build God's kingdom. So the Bible says, be watchful in all things. Beware lest you are lulled to sleep by erroneous doctrines and practices that are not biblical and will render people ineffective. William Booth made a prediction in the 1800s, the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. And we're going to go through this today. Religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, and salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. I consider, I'm going to read that again, the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. I don't want you to be someone who falls into that category or is lulled to sleep by preaching that falls into that category. And remember this, your allegiance, because a lot of people say, well, I can't leave the church. That would cause division. Your allegiance is not to a body of believers. Your allegiance, your primary allegiance is not to a group of people that meet on Sunday. Although it's very important to meet on Sunday, your allegiance is not to that specific group of people that meet on Sunday. Your allegiance is first and foremost, get this in your spirit, to the word of God. And it's doctrine. Let me read something out of Colossians. Your allegiance, first and foremost, is to the word of God and to its doctrine. It's not to people. It's not to a pastor. It's not to, if my pastor, whom I love very much, if my pastor came out and started to challenge 
the inerrancy of Scripture and the, the infallibility of Scripture, or he started to challenge the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit or anything, I'd be out of there. I love him. I, I would leave with honor, but I'd be out of there. And I love my pastor very much, and I know he'll never do that. But I'm just giving you an example that as much as I love my pastor, there's no allegiance I have to a man or to people that trumps my allegiance to the Word of God and to the blueprint of the Word given for the institution of the church for church uh, for church operation. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to this. Let nobody cheat you of your reward. The danger of being in places like this is that you can be cheated out of your reward. You're going to miss out on the things God has for you. Let nobody cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding in those things which he's not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. So Paul's saying, don't let anyone cheat you of your reward. Even if a pastor comes out and says, I had a vision of an angel and starts to preach all kinds of crazy things and starts to get into weird manifestations and weird things. Paul says, don't let anybody cheat you of your reward. Even if they come out saying they had a vision of an angel and they're not holding fast to the head. Of from whom all the body is nourished and joined together with ligaments and grows with the increase that is God. So Paul's saying it doesn't matter what they say they saw. It doesn't matter what they feel is right. If they don't hold fast to the head, which is Jesus, which Jesus is the word made flesh, so we can say hold fast to the word, then you are to discard them and turn away from them and not entertain it. And when I talk about signs you should leave your church, if any of these five things are happening in your church, I'm not saying you need to contemplate and pray about it to see whether you have it right in your spirit. I'm saying there's no prayer necessary if it falls under these five categories, these five signs, these five red flags. There's no prayer ne necessary. Number one, let me get into it right now. Number one, actually, before I do that, let's go through reasons not to leave it. Or not, these are not reasons to leave a church. These are not valid reasons to leave a church. And I want to say this before I get into, into why you should. Not reasons to leave a church. One, because the music isn't to your taste. That's a very immature reason to pick up your bags and leave. If your church is seeing a move of God or, or people are getting saved and it's a strong church that is growing, but you don't like the music, and you feel like, you know, I want a more contemporary music or whatever, there's not enough hymns, and you leave because of that, that is a very immature decision to make. Number two, the service is too long. The service is too long. There's football on Sundays. You're lukewarm. Sorry to break it to you, but if the, the, there's a move of God happening and you're moving because you're leaving the church because the service is too long, or because um, it, it gets into your football time on Sunday afternoons or whatever. Or because they have too many services throughout the week where they're, they're actually setting up a place where people can come and meet God. Then you're lukewarm. There's no other way to go about it. You're the problem, not the church. Number three, don't leave a church because the message is convicting you. The message is convicting. I, I just got hurt at that church. You didn't get hurt. You got convicted. And you're leaving because you don't want to deal with what the Word of God is telling you to deal with. Because you're not, you don't want to challenge or be challenged by the Word in the area of holiness and righteousness and how you're living your life. So they'll leave because that church hurt me. The pastor said something once. 
All he did was call out sin from the pulpit, and now you're le- that's not a reason to leave, your, uh, leave a church. What you got to do in that instance is to examine yourself and see what you have to do differently and then heed to the word of God. Obey God's word above everything else. There's a guy that in Montreal left my church. You know why he left? Because the pastor preached too much on sin or against sin. He preached too much against, uh, uh, against sin and worldliness. And he's like, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable there. Well, why do you think he didn't feel comfortable there? Because he was in it and he's living a worldly life. So it has nothing to do with the pastor. It had nothing to do with his message. You know, people are going to be offended at the word of God and take it out on you as a pastor. And that's, that's inevitable. There's people I offend everywhere I go. People are offended on this broadcast right now. And I'm not saying anything else but what God's word says. People are going to get offended. Jesus didn't tailor his ministry towards the offended. He said, many will be offended, but to those that are the called, the gospel and the word will draw them in and it'll act as God's power to save and deliver them. You don't leave a church because the pastor corrected you on something you were doing wrong. You're living with a a man that's not your husband. You're living with a woman that's not your wife. And the pastor says, I'm not marrying you. You either... either, Uh, No, I'm not marrying you. I'm not giving you membership to the church. You either get married and get right with God and don't live in the same place until you get married or or you have no place at this church. You know, like that would offend a lot of people, but that's the counsel of the word of God and claiming church hope or church hurt or I got that church traumatized me. It didn't traumatize you. It was the Holy Spirit trying to lead you to repentance that you rejected Number, finally, you don't leave a church because the pastor doesn't wear a suit or isn't, you know, he doesn't have a big Instagram account. Who cares? Who cares about his Instagram account? Who cares about his TikTok account? Who cares if he doesn't have a big social media following? Well, I'd rather go to one of these guys that have a social media following. They're a celebrity. My pastor's not a celebrity pastor, so I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to a place where there's a celebrity pastor. You know, I can't speak for all these celebrity pastors. I don't even know what a celebrity pastor is. The Bible says, he that desires to be greatest among you, let him become slave of all. So I don't understand the whole term celebrity pastor. However, most of these guys, you find now, years down the line, they're not even in the, there's so many in the last two years that have quit the ministry, an affair, a scandal came out, money, embezzlement, whatever it was. So I really don't care about your social media following. What I do care about and what I I, want to see in a church is the following five things, or rather, not the following five things. Because we're going from the angle of five signs that it's time to leave that church. So these will serve not only as a, a red flag for you to leave, but it'll if you're looking for a church, you're not in a church right now, before you join yourself to somewhere just randomly and you just, you just rush into something, find out if these five things are happening in their church. And some of these things you can find out before even attending the church, basically by going on their website and checking out their, their statement of belief. So let's go through it. Five reasons, five valid reasons you should leave a church. Number one, the church, the pastor of that church, the leadership of that church does not believe in the inspiration of scripture. They deny the inspiration of scripture. Let me read this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're staying a lot in 2 Timothy today. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. From childhood, Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. 
If you don't know this scripture by heart, find, uh, memorize it today. Verse 16, 2 Timothy 3.16. For all scripture, I want you to write that in the comment section. All scripture. All scripture. Not some scripture. Not pick and choose your favorite six. All scripture. The ones that challenge you and the ones you're already doing and it's easy to come to you. The ones that are confronting you and convicting you and telling you there needs to be a change and the ones that you're already doing and it comes easy to you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Word inspiration there is theonustos, which is, it literally means God breathed. Remember when God breathed on Adam and man became a living being? The breath of God carries the life of God. Paul says the scripture was breathed by God's life, inspired of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped and ready for good work, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter, so that's what Paul said about it. Let's find out what, what Peter said about it, about the scriptures. So notice it doesn't say that the scriptures are, um, you know, uh, some random thoughts that came to Paul's head and the prophet's heads and they started to just sketch down some ideas they had on paper and it came, you know, it ended up being a hit. It ended up being very accepted and widely in society and so they just said this must have been divinity. No. How did the scriptures come? Verse 16, 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, speaking of God's word, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Paul didn't just sit down and say, you know what, here's what I think about life. And this is the problem in this era that we're living in right now. There's something called postmodernism, which teaches that truth is relative. That truth is whatever you want it to be. That the word of God, that's your truth. The Bible is your truth, but I got my truth. There's some things in the word of God that they really testify with me but there's other things that i don't consider to be I, I don't consider to be inspired there i'm telling you this sounds absurd but there are there are churches that teach that the scriptures has partial inspiration meaning there's some things you can take to the bank and cash in and there's other things that are not reliable there's other areas of scripture that are prone to error well here's the problem with that Who's going to decide what areas of scripture are divine and others that are man-inspired or just dogmatic statements? Who's going to decide? Where's the council that decides that? Bible doesn't say that people wrote the Bible because they had a good idea. The Bible says no prophecy of scripture was of private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were moved to write these things, and we compiled it and made a Bible out of it. First Thessalonians 2.13, the church is not here to adapt to the culture of the times. This is what 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says. The Bible says that 
When you receive the word of God, you didn't receive it as the word of a man, but as the word of God, which works its power in them that believe. So he commands the Thessalonians. He said, you didn't receive this as dogmatic. You didn't receive this as a compilation of human authors with human thoughts and human inspiration. You received it as God's very word and letter to you. And because of that, you got the taste of God's power. The problem with the challenging of the inspiration of Scripture is that it leaves, it le first of all, the Bible itself claims to be the Word of God. So if you don't believe in the inspiration of Scripture, then you got to throw out the whole thing because the Bible itself says this is God's Word. Doesn't say, Paul say, and Paul said, I think that this was inspired. No, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. And so if you challenge any part of the, 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 the inspiration of Scripture or the divinity of Scripture, you have to challenge the entire part. And when that happens, that's what gives room to crazy doctrine. That's what gives room to we marry anybody in this church. That's what gives room to people can be whatever they want to be. That's what gives room or leaves room to doctrine that allows people to live any way they want to be and gives them the false illusion that they're going to make heaven regardless of how they live. I want to give you four markers that prove that the scripture is inspired. Number one, it's indestructible. Throughout the ages, no other book or document has been so fiercely persecuted and attacked such as the Bible has been throughout 2,000 years. Throughout the ages, the Bible has been the victim of attack, assault, scrutiny, and persecution. And yet, through it all, it stands, it stands indestructible. Only a small percentage of books actually survive past a quarter of a century. Very few books, understand it, very few books survive us an actual century, a full hundred years. We have a Bible that has survived thousands of years, centuries upon centuries, and still holds true to its original form if you get a good Bible translation. And we can do another video talking about Bible translations because there are Bible translations that I would not go near because they've twisted and have put in their own interpretation rather than letting the Bible say what it wants to say. They just came out and said what they thought the Bible said. And so there's a problem there. But that doesn't, you don't ignore the fact that the actual manuscripts themselves and certain Bibles and translations that hold true to the original translation or the original manuscripts, those have survived the test of time. In 303 AD, Diocletian, who was the emperor of Rome, tried to wipe out the Bible, exterminate its truth, and kill every Christian in Rome. You know what happened? He thought he had done it. The Christians went into hiding and they, hide, they hid their Bibles and they hid all the manuscripts that they had. You know what ended up happening? A couple of years later, Diocletian died in war. Before he died, he had put a, an iron plaque on the street of Rome, a big, big iron plaque that said, I have successfully wiped out the worship of the God of Christianity and I have exterminated all its, all its truth. You know what happened to him? A couple of years later, he died and the Christians came out of hiding 
And the Bible ended up, it circulated more dramatically after that than before that. Because the more the persecution rose against the Bible through history, the more it circulated. The more it multiplied, the more it increased. Neither kings, nor monarchs, nor politicians, nor any man has been able to exterminate the truth of Scripture throughout the history. The greater effort to destroy the Bible, the more it multiplied, the more it circulated through the hands of men. And you can see, so number one, the indestructibility of the Bible attests to its divinity. Number two, the influence of the Bible on history, lands, nations, the names. I mean, look at Sao Paulo, Brazil, St. Paul, Brazil. You look at in, in Montreal, we, we celebrate St. Jean-Baptiste, which is the day of St. John the Baptist. There's places all across the world that are called St. Anthony, St. Thomas, St. Julian, St. Saint, Saint, uh, whatever. The, the Bible has had an influence in nations unlike any other book in history. Has affected art. You look at the Da Vinci sculpture of David. The, probably the most expensive piece of art in, on planet Earth is a sculpture of King David. You go to the, to the museum in France and uh, you can see the Louvre Museum. It's it's packed out with art relative to Christianity, relative to the Bible. You look at the, the Sistine Chapel. Art, architecture has been influenced by the Bible. Music to this day. Musicians are still trying to make it big by, inc by including Biblical references in their music. Everybody's freaking out about Eminem because he included, which by the way, I don't believe that I don't believe there was a genuine turnaround there because he's still, you know, living the same lifestyle. But anyways, Eminem puts a bunch uh, a few lyrics about prayer and salvation, all that, in one of his his videos, and it goes viral. You have people that don't even know God including it into their Tupac. All he did was rap about Jesus. And the blood of Jesus and all that stuff. It's, it, it is af affected. Indelible mark on society. Social reforms have occurred because of biblical thoughts inspiring men. Emancipation proclamation all began because when the awakening happened, it stirred up the truth that all men are created equal. That got into the leadership of the nation in America. And then bills began to be signed that pushed for the liberty of all men. And then the many people don't know that. The Emancipation Proclamation started because of a scripture that hit the minds of the people that were writing laws at that time. And they finally, it clicked in their minds. All men are created equal. And they pushed for that, for legislation to reflect that. Number three, Mark that the scriptures are inspired. The fulfillment of prophecy. At least 300 scriptures prophesy of Jesus' first coming. The odds of Jesus just fulfilling eight of those is actually more, impo more impossible than if you would take a silver. Listen to this. If you took a silver dollar, threw it into the state of Texas... Then filled the entire state of Texas five feet with coins and other 
pennies and dimes and nickels and all that. And then blindfolded a man, threw him out of an, out of an airplane with a parachute, landed somewhere, and have him locate that silver dollar you originally threw in there. The odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 300 are actually more impossible than for that man to find that silver, that silver dollar. That's how crazy it was. And yet he fulfilled 300 to the T. To the T. Things he had no control over. His birthplace of Bethlehem. His sojourning to Egypt. His final words on the cross. The fact that he was crucified on a cross when, when Isaiah wrote that and David penned those words in Psalm 24 of his hands and feet being pierced through. There wasn't even the crucifixion wasn't even a thing at that time. Bible supernatural. The fact that Israel was born again as, or reborn as a nation in May 14, 1948. That's something we saw in, in recent times. That was prophesied in Ezekiel's day. That was prophesied in Jeremiah's day. Jesus said, when they see the fig tree bud again, referring to Israel, you know that my return is soon, even at the door, and the generation that sees that happen will not pass away. We saw that happen. Well, I didn't, but my grandparents did. May 14, 1948. That's a, that's a 3,000 or 20, probably about 2,700-year-old prophecy fulfilled in our time. And then finally... Marker that the Bible is inspired of God, it's transformative effect on people. How many of you, by show of hand emoji, have read the Bible and have experienced a change? Have experienced a change through preaching? You heard someone preach something, preached on divine healing, and your body got healed. You heard, I mean, everybody's hand should be going up. And if your hand's not going up, we'll give you an invitation to receive Christ at the end of this broadcast. But how many of you? I mean, when you heard the gospel, it hit you different. It didn't appeal to the mind. It got to the heart. It, it dealt with the core of who you are. There were, no other book can cause a man to be born again. No other book can cause a man's desires to change. No other books can, can, can influence positive change in a person whereby he turns away from sin and repentance towards God. There's no other book that can generate healing in your body. Proverbs 4 says, attend to my words and it will be life to them that find it and health to all their flesh. I read the Quran. I, I read parts of the Quran. I didn't feel the presence of God hit me. I've read the writings of Confucius. I don't feel... The presence of God hit me. I've read college textbooks. I didn't feel nothing. I didn't sense anything. When I read the Bible and I study the Bible to this day, it's a living word, a powerful, sharper than two-edged swords, able to pierce to the division of spirit and soul and to the bone and marrow. And it changes you from the inside out. It, it, the Bible says it, uh, it produces something in you where you're no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but you're now being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So if a church denied the infallibility of Scripture, find the exit sign and peace. Adios. If, if that happened, I wouldn't even give time for the preacher to get to his final benediction. I'd be out. If I heard a pastor ever say, and I was in that service, and the pastor said, you know, we have to realize that men wrote this book and men are prone to error. And so the general direction of the Bible is inspired, but you can't trust every word. Before he got, 
word out. I'd be beelining it so fast. It'd be like the roadrunner, beep, beep, room, running out. I'd be out that door. I'd be like the Tasmanian devil. I, I had, you'd, you'd see a whirlwind all around me. My whole family would just, would just run out. Wouldn't even give him a chance. I mean, you, you start speaking like that, there's something wrong. Number two, the preach churches, the preach churches, the church preaches cessationism. What is cessationism? It is a false teaching that teaches that the gifts of the Spirit stopped with the arrival of the canon of Scripture. It teaches that the moment the Bible was compiled, that we don't need the gifts of the Spirit in operation anymore. Hence, uh, and so therefore, miracles, signs, and wonders, healing is not for today. Those are for Bible days in order to confirm and attest to the message of Jesus to build the church to a point where it can be stable. But now that the church has been stabilized, we don't need those things. How prideful, first and foremost. Jesus certainly needed miracles for people to believe him. He said, if you don't believe the words, at least believe the works you see me do. He said in John 4, unless you people believe, you'll by no means see, uh, you'll by, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. So Jesus believed that miracles attested to the message that he carried and were necessary to convince people to the authenticity of the message of the gospel. That's why he told his disciples, he said, don't just go in word. I'm going to clothe you with power and you'll be faithful witnesses of me. How do we witness? Hebrews 2, 4 says, by miracle signs and diverse gifts of the Holy Ghost, God bears witness to the message of the gospel. So you go out and say, we don't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore because we have it all sorted out. Really? How's your church doing? All sorted out. How's it going? How's it going? Nobody even knows you exist. You're doing real well. Have it all sorted out, huh? You're doing great. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians, this is the, this is the scripture they use to prove it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never fails, but whether there's prophecy, it will fail. Whether there is tongue, it will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is part in part will be done away with. So in this passage of Scripture, that which is perfect, they believe to mean the Scripture, the canonization of Scripture. That once the Scripture was compiled, then that which is not perfect or in, per, in part will be done away with. And they refer to the imper, imperfect or the, um, the, that which is in part, they believe that to be the gifts of the Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders, and the power of God at work in people for healing and, and, and all, all that. But that's nothing what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture. Paul's not saying that when the Bible is compiled, then the Holy Ghost can leave finally. He doesn't have anything else to do. Paul is saying that once the Bible... Paul is saying that once Jesus returns... When he says that which is perfect has come, he's referring to the second coming of Jesus. He's saying when Jesus returns, then we won't need prophecy anymore. There won't need, we won't need encouragement. We won't need to predict, predict future things because we will, we will know even as we are known. He says when Jesus returns, we're not going to need tongues. We don't have to speak in tongues and pray for interpretation. We're going to directly speak to Jesus and to God himself. 
When, when Jesus comes, the Bible says where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Meaning when we're not going to have to strive to obtain knowledge anymore. We're going to have perfect knowledge in that day. So how you can come away with and say that when the Bible is compiled, we're not going to need prophecy anymore. We're not going to need... Uh, we're not going to need tongues. We're not going to need interpretation of tongues. We're not going to need any of the gifts of the Spirit listed in, in 1 Corinthians 12 because the Bible is, is, is all we're going to need from that moment on. We're, we're word-only people. We're word-only people. I'm a, I'm a man of the Word first, but I'm a man of the Spirit second. And you, that's how you should do. That's what Smith Wigglesworth said. I'm a man of the Word first, and I'm a man of the Spirit second. Because you, first of all, the Spirit leads by the Word. So if you're just a person, of, I'm just a spiritual person, you're getting into weird things. You're a man of the word first and a man of the spirit second. But when you are a man of the word, it's going to produce. When you preach the word properly, it's going to produce supernatural manifestations. So these so say, if I ever was in a place where they taught that the gifts of the spirit no longer function, that healing is not for today, I'd be out of there. If they don't preach a full gospel. They don't include the redemptive fact that you can be healed in your body. That's a red flag for me. And really, it's child abuse. Really, it, you're doing people, a, uh, you're not doing people a service. You're doing people harm because people are coming broken. People are coming in need of a miracle. People are coming in need of healing. And you're telling them that God doesn't heal anymore. And you're turning people away when, in fact, Jesus said, as you go, heal the sick. In my name, cast out demons. If a church didn't preach that you can be delivered of demons, if you come, to, that deliverance was not for today, that we don't cast out demons, that was a primitive thing of the first century, I'd be out of there. It's like having a storehouse full of food and not telling people where it is. If any, if, if the church mocked the spirit or downplayed the work of the Spirit or mocked speaking in tongues or said derogatory terms concerning miracles or openly mocked ministers that operate in the gifts of the Spirit, I'd be out of there. Because the Bible says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. You're going to go and forbid speaking in tongues? I'm out. You're not operating in a biblical point, in a biblical uh, a biblical. Manner and standard. If a church mocked prophecy, I'd be out of there because the Bible says do not despise prophecy. If the church did not allow for the laying on of hands and for people to be ministered to, I'd be out of there. Number three, red flag. It's time to leave that place. The church doesn't preach against sin. Preaches hyper grace, greasy grace. You can continue to live how you want. How many of you know God understands your heart? Though we all sin in different ways, you know, God understands our heart. Forgiveness without repentance, William Booth said, that the danger that would present the end time church would be forgiveness without repentance. This is an unpopular truth, but it's true. Anyways. Forgiveness without repentance. It cannot be had. I just tweeted this today. I said on Twitter, there's no forgiveness without repentance. And I quoted Acts 2.38, where, 
When, when Peter gave the call for salvation, he didn't say. Because they said, what can we do to be saved? He said, nothing, just believe. You don't have to do anything. You just got to believe. It's about here, brothers. It's about here. It's not what Peter said. He said, you want to be saved? Repent and believe so that your sins can be blotted out. They didn't say believe and your sins will be blotted out. He said, repent and believe and your sins will be blotted out. That's right, Natasha. How can anyone say they love Jesus but not obey his commandments? Jesus himself said, he that loves me will keep my commandments. And he that does not love me will not obey my commandments. By this you know who loves me and who loves me not. By those who practice sin or those who practice truth. 1 John 3. It's the whole gist of 1 John 3. Saying, don't be deceived, beloved brethren. He who practices sin is of the devil. He who does not repent is... Who refuses to repent is of the devil. He that lives a lifestyle of repentance and faith and walking on the path of holiness, he is of God, the scripture says. So this whole grace, grace is a covering for sin. It, grace is not even a covering for sin. Mercy is what we needed and need for forgiveness of sins. Grace is not a covering for your past, present, future sins. Because if that were the case, why did Jesus come full of grace and truth? Why would Jesus need grace himself? Why did he carry grace? If, he, if, he, if it was a covering for sin. When did Jesus ever needed a sin covered up? When did Jesus ever need to cover up for his wrongdoings or moral failures? Never. And yet he was full of grace. So obviously, grace is not a covering for sin. Grace is an empowerment to go and sin no more. Jesus was full of grace, and it was evident that he was because he lived a life sinless. Let me read Isaiah. This came into my spirit this, this morning when I was preparing for the broadcast. Isaiah chapter 30. Listen to this. So you have a, you're in a church where they downplay sin, the consequences of sin, the penalty of sin. They downplay the awfulness of it, the ugliness, the depravity of it. It's time to go. Listen to Isaiah prophesying. This is a rebellious people and lying children. Children who do not hear the law of the Lord. It's not about what we do. It's about what he did, amen. No, not amen. Yes, it's about what he did, but because of what he did... I'm changing what I do. Listen to this. Isaiah says, These are rebellious people who are saying to the seers, Don't see. And to the prophets, Don't prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. And prophesy deceit. Get out of our way. Turn aside from the path. And cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. They were saying, We don't want to hear. We don't want to hear. The challenging parts of scripture. We don't want to talk about that holiness stuff. We don't want to talk about the, I got to change my lifestyle. I got to break up with that girlfriend or that boyfriend. Give us smooth things. Tell me, give me words of affirmation. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how I'm doing everything right. Don't give me, don't give me the meat of the word. I can't digest that. 
Bible says in the last days there are going to be people that will heap up for themselves teachers according to their own lust. That tells you that there are teachers circulating in the body of Christ today that are preaching things not to be approved before God, but to appease men, to soothe the convictions of men, to tell people everything's going to be all right. When in actual fact, there's an 18-wheeler Mack truck heading their way. And they don't need to be told everything's going to be all right. They need to be told, repent and believe. Any church that is more afraid of offending people than they are of offending God is not worth a dime of dozen. Any church that doesn't talk about the severity of sin, that the wages of sin is death, is doing a disservice to the cross because the cross shows us how much God hates sin. Jesus didn't have butterflies around his head. He had a crown of thorns. He was nailed to a wooden tree. He had blood gushing out of his body. Achan was stoned because of it. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. Oh, TJ, you're too strong on this stuff. I'm not as strong as Peter was because at least I'm not commanding people to just drop dead. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead because they lied in an offering. Paul said that he handed over Alexander and Hymenaeus to Satan. Because they had turned away and rejected the commandments of Scripture. So number three sign that you have to leave that place is they downplay sin. They water down the message of the gospel. They don't bring up. I mean, take an evaluation of the last year. When's the last time you heard a message on sin? When's the last time you heard a message Challenging people that despite the, the current of this world, that we're to walk counter current. Or is it always about, you know, self-help messages, always talking about how to, how to, how to, uh, how to have better mental health, how to balance work and family. Run, run. Number four, red flag. The church doesn't do evangelism. This is huge. Are people being saved regularly at the church? It, is there at least an altar call being presented? An invitation and presentation of the gospel being presented every week? Are people being invited to a place of decision? Because what's the point of, of preaching if we're not bringing people to a point of decision? That's what good preaching does. It pushes people to make a choice. Are people being given the opportunity to receive Jesus at the altars? Are there evangelistic efforts being drawn up on how to reach the, the city? Or is it just a daycare for believers? Is it just a nursery Nursery time, where we read a few poems and we sing a few lullabies and lull everyone to sleep. You know that fruit is commanded as a child of God, especially as a church? Jesus commanded fruit. He said, you abide in me and, abide in, and I abide in you, you will bring forth much fruit. The Bible says that if you don't bear fruit, he'll cut you off 
And you'll be burnt. And that's why there's a lot of churches. There are 30 people when they start. And 76 years later, we're celebrating our 76th year. You're, you're 34 people now. Because God does, has no obligation to build and put his blessing on any church that is not interested in the Great Commission. God, you, you're, The church isn't let me build my vision. The church is we're building God's vision. And God has no obligation to bless or build or provide for any body of believers whose objective is not the Great Commission and saving the lost at any cost. Are there no evangelistic projects? When's the last time your church held a, an event, an outreach, where it wasn't just, you know, we have some special events at our church coming up in the next month. We have movie night. We're going to be watching Fireproof. So uh, we're going to have popcorn and Snickers bars. Then next Saturday, we're going to have a knitting club started up again. So get your, get your hands out, you know. And also, following that week, we're going to have... Get this, we've been wanting this for a long time and our planning community finally got it. We're going to be doing a church picnic. Yeah, we're just going to go meet in a park and we're going to have a fun time. I'm not against those things. They're all nice things to have. However, they do not replace the duty and responsibility we have as the body of Christ to go ye therefore and preach the gospel into all the world. There's churches that are so busy, they don't even have time for evangelism. There's churches that are so busy, they're so drawn up with the cares of this life, the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of riches, that the thorns of this world have choked their productivity level, and they haven't borne fruit, they haven't brought forth a soul to Christ in 40 years. Make sure you're not attending a daycare. Make sure you're attending a military compound. I mean, Paul says in Ephesians 4, the work of the ministry is to train up people to train up people for the work of the ministry. So the minister, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is there to train up people, edify them for the work of the ministry, equip us for the work of the ministry. So if there's no, and ministry is not drama team. Ministry is not, uh, I don't know, painting club. If you're not winning the loss, you are not a ministry. If you're not winning the loss, you are not a church. You're a daycare. And so Paul says the work of the evangelist and the pastor is to build people up, equip them for the work of the ministry. So if people are coming to church to be equipped, what are they being equipped for if it's not for the work of the ministry? And you do a great, you do a great disservice as a pastor if you don't give out altar calls and invitations to Christ every single Sunday. Why? You know how many times I've had people come up to me and say, TJ, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, my friend got saved today. 
I, I was waiting to bring them to church because I knew you were going to give an altar call. But, you know, over here, we don't really have altar calls every Sunday. And so I didn't want to bring them on a, t on a Sunday where they didn't have an altar call, where they can actually commit their lives to Jesus and all that. So I, wanted, I was waiting for you to come. That's so sad. That grieves me. When you, as a minister, as a pastor, every Sunday are giving a presentation and invitation. I'm not saying there's a way to preach anything in this Bible and tie it in to Jesus at the end and tie it in to an altar call and tie it in to a, a salvation message. There's a way. And if you can't do that, you're not fit for the ministry. There's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. If you don't know how to do it, train up. Train up. Find out how to do it. Educate yourself. Find out people who do it well. Because when you start doing that and you give people weekly an opportunity to come to Christ, you know what happens? You cultivate a culture in your church that people know I can bring my family to church this Sunday because they're going to be challenged to, upset, to, to, to receive Christ into their heart. They're going to be challenged to repent and believe on the gospel. Number four, red flag. It's time to leave that church. They don't do any evangelism at all. Now, I'm not saying if your pastor is giving invitations to Christ every Sunday and you're not seeing you know last Sunday nobody came to Christ I'm going to leave this no you don't do that the fact is is he's his he's his efforts are there he's putting out an invitation to Christ if your church never does that seldom does it once a year we have on Easter Sunday it's not the place to be and number five and I'll finish with this number five signal it's time to leave is there's weird, unbiblical manifestations going on. I mean, like, we were in worship the other day, and there was a feather that appeared right into my ear, and I know it was a feather of an angel, and I know the angels are in our midst. You're weird. You're weird. Why is it that there's some churches you'll go to will get more excited, you'll have an outbreak of praise over a feather showing up, than there is for when one sinner comes to repentance. You notice how the Bible says that there's joy in the presence of God and the holy angels when one sinner comes to repentance? You know what excites heaven? Sinners getting saved. People being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Bodies being healed. That's what excites heaven. And yet you have some places, they don't strive for any of those things. They don't care for any of those things. Their idea of a good service is, when I had my hands lifted, oil showed up on my hands and I know that God's anointed me for great what did what did that do for everybody else you know there was a prophet that came to town and he had a word of knowledge he knew my bank account number really what happened did I, did money get added into it did people get saved because of that what redemptive value did that bring to the service everybody wants this spectacular show not even knowing that some of this some of the stuff, I'm not saying all of it, but some of the stuff that goes on is actually borderline witchcraft. And you have churches not only entertaining, but celebrating it. When in fact, we should be striving for and celebrating people being born again, bodies being healed, families being transformed, baptisms in the Holy Ghost, children speaking in tongues, ministries being birthed. That's what's to be celebrated. The Bible says the manifestation of the Spirit bringeth profit to all. So when the Holy Ghost manifests, it brings profitability. It adds value. The man of God, he knew my birthday. 
What, what did that do? What profit did it bring? He knew my bank account number. What, what happened? Did money get out? There was a jewel that appeared in my hand. Take it to the, you know, I never understood the whole, there was gold in my hands or, or a diamond came up. If I had, I'm telling you this, if a diamond showed up in my service, if all of a sudden diamonds started falling from the sky, like some people claim that happened, you know what I would do? I wouldn't say, look, God sent me diamonds and then I'm going to go and store it on my, on my bookcase and say, these are diamonds from heaven. And just have people over and show them my diamonds from heaven. That's not what I would do. If actual diamonds came from heaven, I'd be the first one at the bank cashing those then because I know God's not sending diamonds so that we can just worship diamonds. If there was diamonds coming into my meetings, it, was, it would be because I'm going to cash them in and I'm going to fund crusades. I'm going to cash it in and I'm going to write checks up to pay church buildings off. I'm going to cash it in and I'm going to use it for evangelistic work and crusades. You look at the, some of these places where they see diamonds coming in and there's gold appearing all over the place. Their, their building looks so run down. If gold was showing up, shouldn't you maybe, just maybe, bring it to like a, we sell gold company or we buy gold company and cash it in and maybe pay for the flickering light that's been flickering in the church sanctuary for the last 64 years? Maybe... Use the money to buy a new sound system that you've been blaming on the devil. Devil really doesn't want the word to go out because the sound system keeps crackling and it's garbage because you cheaped out on a sound system. You got gold coming into your meetings. Maybe, just maybe, it's to go out and fund the gospel. So when you have weird, unbiblical manifestations like this, red flag. When every week the thing being celebrated is, brothers, I'm seeing angels today. But nobody's being saved. You know, in John 5, when the steering of the waters came, the angel came down to steer the water, someone got healed when they stepped into the water. People are seeing angels all the time. What's happening? People are, you know, they claim to, to have visions of God. Jesus is in this earth. What's happening? Because I'm telling you, if there was a genuine manifestation of the Spirit of God in the service, there would, be an, there would be a sense of awe. There would be repentance. There would be salvation. There'd be people speaking in tongues. There'd be people laughing under the power of the Holy Spirit. There'd be something that would happen. So those are five signs these are, if I saw any of these things, I'd look for the exit and I'd road runner out. So how do you leave a church now? How do you do it properly? Certainly do not make noise and tear apart the place as you go out like a bulldozer. Make it quiet. If you're heavily involved with the church and stuff, make a meeting with the pastor. Sit down with him. Thank him for his years of service in your life. Honor him. I'd go a step further. Buy him something. Give him a seat of honor. Put some money in his hands to thank him for his years of service. Leave with honor. Because God values those that, that value honor. 
Always heed the honor system. No matter what he's done, no matter what, just honor him. Because if, you know, if you'll go a step further and sow a gift into the pastor, two things will happen. One, you'll reap honor because you're sowing something into someone else. You'll, you'll, you know, the Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mock. Whatever a man sows in another, that shall he reap. So when you, when, if you'll leave that place in an honorable way and even present a, a thank you to the pastor, you'll reap honor. And then number two is you'll never become bitter about that pastor and go about writing a blog afterwards on the horrors of growing up in that church. You'll go out praying for that pastor. You'll go out having no feelings of bitterness or hatred or anger towards him. You'll show them love because it's hard to not love someone who you went out to deliberately, you deliberately went out to go and bless. It's hard to be bitter towards someone that you're intentional about blessing. So don't try it. Don't leave and get a group of people with you and, and cause a division. The word division is division. Two visions. The Bible says that when you, you know, that's what got the Israelites in trouble in Numbers 21. They created division. They spoke against Moses and against God. And God sent fiery serpents out. The Bible says, don't complain. And you'll, uh, do not complain as some of them complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. So don't, make, don't take this as your opportunity to go and now I'm left the church. I can go out and complain about everything that they did. Don't cause a church split. Leave with honor. I hope this helped you today. I want to pray for you right now. Father, in Jesus' name, for those right now that are in a church like this, I pray that you'd give them the courage and the boldness to find a new place and guide them by your spirit to a new place that honors your word, that honors the Holy Ghost, that honors the power of God, that honors your kingdom and evangelism and has, had, and has their hand to the plow. And Father, I pray for those that don't have that type of church in their area, that you'd give them the boldness, faith, and excitement to leave and plant themselves, to, to, to leave the city they may be in, the region they may be in, and plant themselves in a new city, to make that step of faith, take that step of faith, which carries immeasurable reward, so that they can set up for themselves an atmosphere, not only for themselves, where they can encounter God, but for their children and their children's children. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.